And this morning I titled this message, Hero, because most of our earthly decisions are driven by fear and they're driven by failure, but today we begin a new legacy. Today we begin a lifestyle of faith. Today we begin a lifestyle of hope, and today we begin a lifestyle of perseverance. All the men in the house say amen. All the men in the house say, that's me. Now say it where I believe you. All right, say it one more time really loud. Say it so your spouse can hear you. Amen. So we're going to begin to live a legacy of faith. My first thing I want to tell you this morning is the only way you ever fail as a man, as a person, as an individual is if you quit. Do not quit. I'm tired of seeing men in this generation quit. I don't want to see quitters anymore. Amen. I want you to begin to instill on the inside of you something deeper, something greater, something that's got purpose, something that's got passion, something that's a driving force on the inside of you that says, I will not quit anymore on my family, my job, my career, my church, my God. I'm going to be somebody different in today's world. Can I get an amen this morning? We must not quit any longer. We've got, we're filled with a world of quitters because it's too hard, because it wasn't fair, because we feel like we're entitled to something. Forget all that. The world's not going to give you anything, and God's already gave you everything through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Amen? So it's time for us to rise up in power in the name of Jesus Christ and go forth with the anointing of God on us and become a modern-day hero in the world that we live. Amen? You're different this morning. I need you men in here to get this concept through your head. If you ever wondered why you came to church, today is why you've come to church. For you to have a life change. For you to start not believing in yourself, but believing on the Jesus on the inside of you. Because he said, greater is he that's in you than anything that's in this world. And I love that video we just showed where you see failure after failure after failure. But the only way you really fail is if you quit. And they didn't quit. I can't say I would have kept going. <laughs> I mean, I'm crazy, but I'm not quite Red Bull X Games crazy yet anyway. Amen. I got a legacy coming after me that's blessed. I'm praying. Amen. But the only way you fail is if you quit. And men, quit quitting. Stop quitting. Quit. There's something you got to develop on the inside of you that says it doesn't matter how hard it gets. My relationship with Christ is going to persevere. And it's going to get through me through this time, situation, and circumstance that I'm going through. I want to read to you the life of a man right quick. And this man, he was born in the 1800s. And in 1831, he lost his job. How many of y'all lost a job before? In 1831, he lost a job. In 1832, he decided to run for the Illinois State Legislature. He was defeated. He then began to try his own hand at business, and his business failed. So he tried, he tried politics again, and so he was elected to the Illinois State, Senate Le State Legislature in 1834. In 1835, with the love of his life died. How many of y'all have ever had a loved one die? Doesn't seem fun at the time. Ready to quit. 1835, his love of his life died. 1836, he had a nervous breakdown. 1838, he, de he was defeated in a run for the Illinois uh, Speaker of the House. How many of y'all have ever been defeated at something in your life? You ran for something, and it didn't happen the way you thought it should happen. And he was defeated again. Then in 1843, five years later, he was defeated in a run for the nomination for U.S. Congress. In 1846, he was finally elected to Congress, only in 1848 to lose his election again. How many of y'all ever lost something in your life? You had something good, and then you lost it. And then he was rejected for a land officer position. In 1854, he was defeated in a run for U.S. Senate. In 1856, he was defeated for, in a run for the nomination for vice president. And in 1858, again, he was defeated in a run for the U.S. Senate. In 1860, because he didn't quit, finally Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the United States of America because he did not quit. I'm telling you, if you just don't quit... 
Your day is going to come. Your time is going to come. What you've been believing for is going to come. Don't quit on God. Don't let people talk you out of God being in your life. Some of you are like, Pastor, I've been going to church for, for four months now, and I haven't seen my marriage turn around. Don't quit coming to church. Pastor, I've been coming to church for five years now, and I haven't seen my financial situation change. One day it's going to happen if you don't quit. The Bible says through faith and through patience, we inherit the promises of God. The problem is the world's told you that if you don't get it right now, it's not worth having. God says if you don't have to wait for it, it's not worth having. And so I'm going to challenge you, don't quit on God. Don't quit on what he's called you to do and who's he, who's he, who he's called you to be. The only way you fail is if you quit. I can't tell you how many times over the past 15 years I wanted to walk out those glass doors and walk out the doors on Glover Street and walk out of the doors in the hotel before that and say, I quit. I'm done. I'm tired of it. My family doesn't deserve this. I'm not quitting. I'm not stopping because there's something greater. The emotion of the moment, I don't let dictate lifelong decisions. And bless my wife's heart, she's great. She lets me vent. And she lets me vent in the moment because she knows I'm not quitting. She knows I'm not turning away. She knows we bought into this for the long haul and that's the rest of our lives. So we're going to keep going with this gospel. Don't quit. I can tell you heartache after heartache after heartache that we've gone through. You could sit here and tell me heartache after heartache after heartache that you've gone through. And every reason in the world why you should quit, why you shouldn't love again, why you shouldn't laugh any longer, why you should let the sorrow of your life take over the moments that you're in. Don't quit pursuing God. Because the only way you'll ever fail is if you quit. Get back on that skateboard. Get back on that, that snowmobile. Get back on that bike. I don't care how many times you've fallen. I don't care how many words you say double negatives in a sermon, Joel. Keep preaching. Amen. So like, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad he finally realizes it. <laughs> I don't care how many times you say ain't in a sermon. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep working at it. I'm going to keep getting better, but I'm not going to quit because it's hard. I'm not going to stop. The plans that God has for us is way too great, so don't quit. Don't stop. Your marriage may be in the gutter right now, and I know that some of your marriages are hurting right now. Don't quit. Put God at the center. Put God at the forefront. Get counseling. Find a way to make it here. Let us counsel you. Here's the problem I have. People say, Pastor, I want my marriage to work more than anything, and I need counseling. I'm like, good, when can you come? And they're like, and I give them a time. Tuesday at 3 o'clock, be here. Oh, I, I work. I can't take off of work. You just told me your marriage was the most important thing in your life. Obviously, it's not because you can't take off work to get counseling. If your kid or you were sick, would you take off work to go to the doctor? But yet you're throwing away your marriage the rest of your life because you won't take an hour off work to let me speak into your life, to let our counselors speak into your life and change your marriage because you got to work? Are you kidding me? You better get priorities where priorities need to be because if you're going to make up the decision, I'm not going to quit, that means you got to start realigning your life so you don't quit. And you need to start aligning your life around your priorities. And your priorities must be the Word of God first. And you must, from the Word of God, then begin to establish every other priority in your life. And when you begin to establish that priority line, it doesn't change. I'm telling you, don't quit. I'm telling you that many of us, the only reason that we ever do quit is because of fear. And we quit because of fear, and then we do experience failure. Well, I'm telling you this morning, failure is not an option. Failure is not an option this morning. We actually need to rephrase that because it's a common phrase. We need to rephrase it because it needs to say the fear of failure is not an option. Many believers give up on themselves and fail because they never gave themselves a chance in the first place because of fear. I'll repeat that. Many believers 
give up and fail because they never give themselves a chance in the first place because of fear. You want to do something great. You want to do something amazing. You want to do something exciting. But because of fear, you don't even step out to even try it. So you don't even have the option to fail or succeed because fear has held you back to even try it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you let fear come into your life, failure is imminent. It's going to happen. But if you'll get fear out of your life because the fear of failure is not an option, listen, from here you can move forward into success. But many people don't even give themselves a chance to fail, much less a chance to succeed because fear has held you back and you don't even step out in the first place. So the fear of failure is not an option. Uh, uh, President Roosevelt said this, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The only thing that keeps a believer at bay is fear. Hey, why don't you invite somebody to church? Oh, that's awesome. You're pumped up about it at service. You run out there. Um, well, they may say no. They may say this. They may say that. They may make fun of me. Fear has done taking you over. You don't even know if they're going to come to church or not. You won't even ask them because of fear. You don't even give yourself a chance to fail, much less a chance to succeed because fear has come in. But what does the Bible say about us? The Bible says this. God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. That's what he gave us. So when we begin to walk in an atmosphere and an environment of fear, we begin to automatically say failure is a part of my everyday life. We begin to automatically say I quit in advance and I'm going to go ahead and be labeled a failure because I don't even get a chance to fail, much less succeed, and I'll never try. The only way you fail is if you quit or you never even try. So don't quit. Step out there and try. Listen, so what if you messed up? So what if you mess up on it? What does it matter? Who cares? As much research and history study as I've done, there's only been one perfect man out of the billions who've came through this, through this world. So if to be perfect, you got to be a one in multi-billion. Listen, I don't fall into that category. But I will not label myself as a failure just because I failed before. Just because you failed does not make you a failure. It's when you quit, you become a failure. So do not quit. Do not be labeled a failure. And here's the thing a lot of us got to begin to understand. We got to begin to take the place of fear, find fear in our life, find what we're afraid of, and begin to say, God, expose my fear to your spirit, the spirit of faith, and let's deal with some issues. Some of you have said, I will never get married again because of past hurts, and so you don't even give a chance to let your life succeed with happiness and marriage again because of a past failed marriage. If you've gone through a divorce, so what? Who cares? I don't. Let's change the legacy. When you get married again, let's figure out what went wrong and, we don't, and make it right so it doesn't happen again. So many people don't come to church because they've been divorced. I don't care if you've been divorced. Wherever you're at lot right now, let's find it and make it right so it doesn't happen again. I don't care how many times you failed. It doesn't mean you're a failure. If you don't quit, you can't fail. Persevere. Press on. Paul says this, I press on towards the goal to win the prize of the high calling. He didn't quit. Paul failed many times. We look at Paul as this great renowned theologian and the writer of most of the New Testament, and that he was. But Paul will be quick to tell you every one of his failures. Real quick, Paul didn't even begin to say he was perfect. I'll never stand up here and tell you I'm perfect, and if I do, my wife will quickly tell you different, that he's not perfect. And by me saying I'm perfect goes ahead and tells you I'm not perfect. Because if I'm that naive to think I'm perfect, y'all better all go find somebody else to go to church with, amen? I know I'm not perfect. I'm not the most talented. I'm not the smartest. I just, I, I'm just, the fact of the matter is, I'm too dumb to know when to quit, so I just never quit. <laughs> that, that's the truth of the matter. I was too dumb to give up on school, so I just kept going until last year. Finally got out of school when I'm 30. <laughs> Amen? Or 30, 35, whatever, 37. <laughs> I'm not perfect. 
Okay, here's my brain mess up for the day. I was thinking 30 years of continuing school since kindergarten through my doctorate. That's where I got 30 from, okay? So when I started school until last year, I went to 30 continuous years of school except uh, two small breaks in there, okay? That's where the 30 came from. I will justify myself. But I'm not perfect because if I was 30, that would be great. And so don't quit. And there's a, you can say a lot of negative stuff about me, but you'll never call me a quitter. And I know this in my life. If I put out enough effort, I don't got to have the right amount of talent because effort requires no talent. And if I'll put out the effort, God will begin to anoint it. And here's the problem. God wants to see effort before he gives you anointing. We want an anointing before we give effort. Did you catch that? We want anointing without effort. God wants effort without anointing. And when you put out effort, God will give you anointing. If I don't, if I don't quit, God's going to continue to anoint this ministry just because I won't quit. God's like, well, he's not going to quit. May as well help him. I'm serious about this stuff, y'all. I live it. I'm not the perfect dad. My kids will be quick to tell you, but they'll know I'm the favorite. If y'all saw Facebook yesterday, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yesterday, we were riding home um, from, what we do yesterday morning? It's so busy of a day, I don't even remember. Yeah, we went to the parade, and we were driving to a birthday party. And then, and, and, dad, and Caleb's in the back seat. He said, Daddy, you're so awesome. And I'm like, thanks, bud. I appreciate that. And he says, Daddy, you're my favorite. And I looked at my wife, and I'm like, oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And she says, is mommy not your favorite? And he said, no, mommy, because daddy drives better than you. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> now i got to start working on Aaron. Failure is not an option. Let's rephrase that. The fear of failure is not an option. Do not let fear come into your life and begin to stop you from trying again, from loving again, from laughing again, from leaving a legacy again. God's got potential in you. If you're still here on this earth, if you're still drawing breath from the oxygen that's in the atmosphere, God is not done with you. God still has a plan for you. God still has a purpose for you. And God wants men in this room to rise up and be a modern day hero just because they won't quit. They didn't quit on their wife. They don't quit on their kids. They don't quit on their grandkids. They're going to stay there. They're going to be in there for the long haul. Do not quit. Be a modern day hero. Be a measure of consistency in the life of people around you. Just don't quit. Watch what God can begin to do. How do you go from a zero? Because many men walk into church every Sunday thinking they're a zero. And they look at the pastor and say, oh, if I could just have a spiritual walk like the pastor, then my wife would love me better. She would love me more. Then my kids wouldn't be so bad. Listen, if you begin to put me on that kind of a pedestal, I'm going to tell you you're destined for failure. And I don't want you to even begin to think like that. What I want you to begin to do is realize that the decisions and the choices you make will greatly affect today and the years to come in your life. And if you'll start making right decisions today and stick with those right decisions today, you'll be, not be a hero for the rest, a zero for the rest of your life, but God will begin to develop you into a hero for the rest of your life. I want to read to you uh, uh, the accounts of the Old Testament. And the Bible says this in Psalm 112, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, praise the Lord. So men, first thing you need to do is praise the Lord. That's not a part of this message. That's a side note. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. So if you want to be blessed, fear the Lord. That's not part of this message. That's a side note. You need to go study it. Who, is gra who greatly delights in the commandments. So you want to be a, a hero in life, you need to delight in the commandments of God. That's not part of the message, so we'll go back. His offspring will be mighty in the land. Everybody say amen. You want powerful kids? Say amen. All right, that's not a part of this message. We'll go back, but I'm glad you know you want mighty kids. The generation of the, uh, of the upright will be blessed. Everybody say, amen, that's me. All right, that's not part of this message. We're going to go back. Wealth and riches are in his house. Everybody said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's not part of the message. This is the part of the message I got to get to. And his righteousness endures forever. That's what I want to talk about. And his righteousness endures forever. How long is forever? Forever. How long is forever? It doesn't stop. 
How long is forever? It doesn't end. It's starting now, and his righteousness endures forever. Let the righteousness that is in you affect and effect the generations after you. Let the righteousness that is on the inside of you begin to affect and change not just you, but the generations after you. Dads, the most important thing I can tell you is let the righteousness of God that's on the inside of you begin to transform not just you, but begin to store up the blessings of God in heaven for you, the generations after you, and the ones to come. Now I'm going to make a quick qualification in my statement here. I'm not saying that if I am born again and I store up righteousness, my kids don't have to make their own decision for Christ. They do. They got to make their own decision for Christ. My grandkids are going to have to make their own decision for Christ. My great grandkids, bless the Lord, I pray that I get to see them if we don't get called back home quicker. They're going to have to make their own decision for Christ. So I'm not saying store up salvation for the generations after you, but I am saying store up righteous living, a right standing with God for the generations that come after you because God will remember your steps of faith here today and on down the line, and He will repay them to the generations that come after you. And the blessings of God will be stored up in heaven and begin to flow down to the generations after you. I can prove it in scripture. Are you ready? Say amen. I want you men to start realizing this, that 11 years after King David died, Solomon was dedicating the temple of the Lord. And 2 Chronicles 6.42 says this, remember the great mercy promised to David, your servant. Solomon wasn't standing there saying, God, because I'm so good, because I'm king, because I built all this amazing stuff, bless it. No, because the promise was made to David that he would always have an offspring sit on the throne. And so Solomon, being a smart man, the wisest man on all the earth, said, God, don't remember this for my sake, but remember my servant David, my daddy, what he did. This was 11 years after David died. Solomon dedicated the temple, and fire came down from heaven, and the whole temple was filled with the glory and the smoke of God. And God poured himself out on the nation of Israel that day, not because of Solomon and the people and the sacrifices that the streets flowed with blood, but because of his servant David and what King David did because he was a man after God's own heart. Not a perfect man. He was a murderer. He did adultery. He did all kinds of crazy stuff. He went crazy for a little bit, in my own opinion. And but for the sake of David, God showed up when Solomon asked, how many would you like it after 11 years after you died, God visit your kids and said, not because you're so good, but because I remember the steps of faith your daddy took in praying for you. I remember the steps of faith your daddy took in training you up in the ways of the Lord, and son, you know better. I, I would love for God to come speak to my kids, not because they're so great, but because I have a right standing with God, and the favor of God rests on my life. And God will visit my kids because of it. Eleven years after King David died, David stored up a righteousness that would endure forever and go down the line. Twenty-three years after David died, God was about to bring judgment on, the, on David's son Solomon for all the many wives he had and all the idols that Solomon put in God's house. And a God again spoke to Solomon in 1 Kings eleven twelve, And he said, Solomon, I should take the throne from you, but nevertheless, not for the sake of you, I will, excuse me, nevertheless, for the sake of David, I will not do this during your lifetime. God comes to sing King Solomon when he ain't living right. And God says, Solomon, all this junk you've done and the idols you've let come into my house, I should kill you and take your throne. But because of your daddy, mm, that's powerful. But because of your daddy, 23 years ago when he died, before that I made a promise to him that his righteousness would endure forever. And his righteousness is what's covering you right now. How many would you love it 23 years after you were dead and gone? God visits your kids and says, hey, you ain't living right. Things ain't right in this world. But because of your daddy's sake, I'm going to live. I'm going to let you live. I'm not going to take your throne from you or anything else. 
I'm telling you this morning, begin a store of righteousness for the generations to come. Listen to this. Everybody say 57. 57 years after David died, Abijah became king and continued to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, the Bible says. And in 1 Kings 15, he says, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem. You ever wonder why wicked people are in places of blessing today? Because maybe 50, 70, 100 years prior to them, they had a right standing with God somewhere in their lineage. And God is just simply honoring what people 100 years prior did. And that's why you see people that may not be great. King Abijah was running the kingdom of God in Jerusalem. And it says he was a wicked man and did evil in God's eyes. And some of y'all are thinking, why would God even let that happen? Not for his sake, but because of what he promised his great-grandfather, King David. He said, I will always keep somebody of your lineage on the throne. And Abijah may not be a good man, but he's the best we got right now. Let me tell you this, church. In this life, you're going to come in contact with people and things and situations that may not be the greatest, that may not be the most wonderful. And you're wondering why they're being blessed or why their life looks blessed. Quit worrying about them. Concern yourself with you and how you're going to begin a store of righteousness for the generations to come down the line of your family. So one day, maybe you great grandkids may not be living the best lives. God will have mercy on them because of you and change their legacy also. Remember the number of years, 305 years after King David died, Hezekiah was about to be overthrown by the Syrian army, and he cried out to God and asked for help. That night, God came in on the scene and killed 180,000 Assyrian soldiers and destroyed their army, and Hezekiah asked God why he did it, and this is what God said. He said in 2 Kings 19.34, I will defend this city and save it for the sake of my servant David. 305 years after King David was dead and gone, God is still moving on behalf of King David in the earth. Now, I know we're in the New Testament. I know things are different in a lot of the way we study the theological side of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't believe this is different. I do believe God will honor you and the life you live. And he says, for those of you who do iniquity, I'll remember them four generations. That's where theologically I believe you can cut off that iniquity right now and stop that curse. But I do believe God will be faithful to this. He said, but for those who love me, I will visit them a thousand generations. And if the, new, if, the, if the New Testament is filled with new and better promises, as the Bible says, that thousand may can even go longer. And so listen to me on this. 305 years after I'm gone, I pray God still moves in this earth because of what I do today. I pray that I leave such a legacy that God moves in this earth because of what we're doing today. Because we're going to have heroes rise up in just a minute and say, I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for the generations to come. Because in all the movies that you see where they're superheroes, they're not just trying to survive the day. They're trying to survive the day and make a difference for what? Years on down the line, I'm ready for some heroes to rise up. I'm ready for some heroes to stand up and say, I'm willing to make a difference 305 years after I'm gone. God, visit this earth because of what I did today. And I want you to start overcoming by the power of Jesus Christ. I want you to start setting a legacy for your family. I want you to start setting a legacy for the ones you love. I want you to start building a, a, a storehouse of righteousness that God can come back and visit from generation to generation to generation and on down the line. I'll, I'll never forget in studying all this stuff I began to really realize why I'm at where I'm at today and, and things in life and, and how God has blessed this church. And as I begin to study family heritage, I realize God's doing a mighty work here, not because of me, but because of the people who were before me. 
because of the people who were before me, because in studying this, I realized that Jeff and mine and Brian and Tara's also, but since they live in another state, I'm just going to refer to Jeff and mine. <laughs> Jeff and my great, great, great grandparents were known for people always working in the church, always just there, faithful, serving God, serving God with all their heart. And that's my great, great, great grandparents. And then my great, great grandparents, as I talked to my grandmother a while back, they were known for memorizing scripture. They would just quote the word of God all the time. As they would raise their kids, they would just tell stories of God's word. They'd talk to their kids about God's word. They, they Practically, when I was talking to my grandmother about this, it seemed like the, the stories about them, they would have had to have the whole Bible memorized. And they would just tell their kids and grandkids stories from the Bible. And then my great-grandparents, they were known for always having devotions morning, noon, and night. They'd get up with the word of God, they'd eat lunch with the word of God, and they would go to bed with the word of God, firmly implanted in their life. Now my grandparents, they're praying people. My grandparents were praying people because they had over, um, I don't even know how many grandkids they got now, and, and up until a couple years ago, th this changed. But up, up until about five years ago, they would pray for every kid, every grandkid, and every great-grandkid by name every single night. They would call us out before the Lord. My grandparents did this. Every night before her and granddad would go to bed, they would say, and God be with Joel in Sulphur Springs. He's pastoring a church. And, he's, and my granddad was an associate pastor uh, the, the latter part of his life, and, and he would pray. And they would call me by name, and they would call Jeff by name and say, God, give them strength. And I'd just stand here and stand in awe of that. And I remember growing up, my parents, they're always word people. <laughs> if you want advice from my parents, you better get ready to hear a scripture. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I'll never forget, we'd wake up early in the morning. In high school, I'd wake up about 5 o'clock and go running in the morning. And yeah, call me crazy, I know. But I'd wake up about 5 in the morning and go running. Mom would already be up reading her Bible at the kitchen table. Didn't, didn't matter what day of the week. it was. Saturday, there was no day off from getting up and reading your Bible. Saturday, you, you think you get to skip? schedule? No. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday, she'd get up, still read her Bible every single morning. She still does it to this day around the table in their new house. And dad, up until uh, a few months ago, if you ever, up until Burton's restaurant closed, if you ever wanted to find him, you know where he'd be? He'd be at his office at Burton's. And, and mom would get up early in the morning and dad would stay up late studying at night. And as dad would stay up late studying at night, he was always there ministering to people and helping people. And mom would do the same thing in the morning. And it wasn't just on my side of the family, but I didn't have a choice to really be a pastor because when I married into, to Sherry and her family, her dad was a pastor, her granddad was a pastor, her uncle's a pastor, her other uncle still is a pastor. Two missionaries, are, uh, two of her uncles are missionaries and two cousins are missionaries. We didn't have a choice, babe. We're in the ministry. <laughs> And so where we're at today and all the stuff that you see and how we got, we got radio broadcasting and, and we're on the internet and all the stuff that you see, me and Sherry look at each other and say, God, it ain't because of us. It's because of those who have stored up generations of righteousness on down the line. Back above us, my great, great, great grandparents who just worked in the church, God, he begins to visit generations down the line. And one day something's going to happen in your life and you're going to realize you're where you're at, not just because of your goodness and your walk with God, but because of those generations before you. And I'm forever grateful to my dad and my mom, especially on Father's and Mother's Day, because I'm here only because of them. I mean, literally, health-wise and everything, only because of them. And then I look at my grandparents and I'm there only because of them. And then when Sherry's dad was pastoring, I, there was times I would just say, in the young part of my ministry, I'd call him and I'd say, I just don't have a clue what to do. Never been here before. He'd gently guide me along the way. Tell me, hey, this is what I would do. But you, and here's what he would always say. I'm not telling you what to do. And he'd say, this is what I would do. But here's what you need to do. You need to go hear from God on what to do. And he'd never tell me exactly what to do. He'd say, you need to go hear from God. He'd give me his advice. And he would always end it. But you've got to hear from God. 
And you know what sticks in my head more than anything? I've got to hear from God. Change the generations that are coming after you. Some of y'all are sitting here and say, Pastor, that's a great story for you. I don't have a bloodline like that. In fact, Pastor, my bloodline is just the opposite. My bloodline running up. My dad was an alcoholic. My dad, uh, my granddad was an abuser and a, and a drug addict. My grandparents before them, who knows, because we, we, we were born out of wedlock and all. Your family history may look like junk. And the sad state is we're creating generations down the line that their family history looks more like that than the one that I just read to you about. But here's the best thing about God and God's word. You can change your bloodline. You can change what the way God sees things. Listen, King Saul was an evil king, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Listen to what this says. Your daddy may have been bad, your granddad, your, your, your in-laws. Listen to all this. King Saul did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the Bible says that King Saul had a son, Jonathan, who would not follow in the ways of his father because King Saul tried to kill King David, and Jonathan protected him. And Jonathan would not follow in the ways of his father. And after Jonathan died, in 2 Samuel 9, the Bible says this. David asked Israel, is there anyone left of the house of Jonathan's sake that I can show mercy to for my friend Jonathan? And listen to the phrasing of that. The Bible talks about King David and the righteousness would be with him forever. The Bible talks about Jonathan with an ungodly heritage. It says his mercy wants to be shown to that family. So even if you have a horrible lineage and your kids are bad and your parents are bad, begin to change bloodlines right now today because here's the truth. God's mercy still endures forever. His righteousness endures forever. His mercy is unceasing. It's unending. It goes from generation to generation, but he needs somebody like a Jonathan to stand here and do something right so somebody else can say, who can I show goodness to for his sake down the line? See, some of you as a parent in here, the best thing you want is this. You want something great to happen for your kids. You could care less. You're at a stage in your life where it doesn't matter. If you go home to be with Jesus tomorrow, you'd be happier. But you want something great for your kids. Listen to what David said. He said, is there anyone for Jonathan's sake, not the sake of the kid, for Jonathan's sake that I can show mercy to because of what Jonathan did for me? See, the best thing about bloodlines is they don't just run downhill. They can run uphill. You can begin to change your legacy from you today making a righteous decision. See, God's not limited to just running downhill. You make a decision today to be a hero in your life, and who knows, your daddy may get saved. Your granddad on his deathbed may receive Jesus because he's been watching you live and you didn't even know it. Your great-granddad, even though he's dead and gone, he can begin to change bloodlines all the way on up. As long as there's breath of life in you, he can begin to change things.